And I always say this, like, success doesn't happen by accident. Cristiano Ronaldo's success is not by accident. You know, he, he works at it. And uh, I have a lot of respect for people who are successful for a long time. Um, that's, uh, that is not easy. And those two guys in particular, Messi and Ronaldo, have been so successful for so long. Um, I have nothing but respect for them. That was Bill Manning, president of Toronto FC and multi-time MLS Executive of the Year. Having held executive positions with the Houston Rockets, Philadelphia Eagles, and Real Salt Lake, Bill's story actually starts with him being a professional soccer player, where he even went as far as to win the US Open Cup in 1991. Formalities aside, thank you so much, Bill, for taking the time out of your day to share your story with us. Great, happy to be here. Perfect. So just to start, I would love for you to walk us through the series of events that have led you to where you are today within your career. Yeah, I, um, I've had a lot of people help me along the way and, and I've taken some chances and I, I, I haven't been afraid to move and uh, take on new, new positions, uh, move to new areas, um, move sports. And uh, it's, been, um, it's been a good run thus far and I'm really excited for the future as well. Um, I was a player, a soccer player, back in the mid-90s, and back then there was no MLS. I was, I was uh, playing in the, in the USL and had an opportunity to help out in the front office, and that's really what led me to my, my business career. I, I then was asked to be a general manager for a team called the Long Island Rough Riders, um, which is where I'm from, and I was 30 at the time, and so I stopped playing and um, did well there went to the final four two years in a row and then got recruited over to a team called the Minnesota Thunder, which is now the Minnesota United now in MLS and uh, worked there for a couple of years, worked for Bill George, um, who was the CEO of Medtronic at the time, is a professor at Harvard Business School, uh, author, renowned author uh, on leadership right now. Um, we won a championship there in 1999, which was uh, my first as, a, as an executive. And then um, got uh, um, recruited over to Major League Soccer, worked for Don Garber and, and Mark Abbott with the Tampa Bay Mutiny. And then uh, after a couple of years, um, we actually contracted the league back then. Both the Florida franchises got contracted. And uh, I was at a bit of a career crossroads um, and uh, decided I needed a lot more business experience. I, I had a, a world of soccer experience, um, but I, I needed more business experience and, and uh, Went to work in the NBA for Tad Brown, who's their CEO now, and uh, um, it was a fun time. Yao Ming was on the team. We were opening a Toyota Center, and uh, um, really was a good, um, I was there for about a year and a half, two years, and then I went over to the Philadelphia Eagles um, to, to join them. Uh, Buffy Filippel uh, um, called me on a Monday, and I remember I was on a plane on Tuesday, met with Joe Banner and Mark Donovan on Wednesday and by Thursday he was offered the job and uh, was making plans to move to Philly on Friday. And so it was uh, a whirlwind week and uh, uh, loved my time in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, Donovan McNabb and Brian Westbrook and Jeremiah Trotta, Andy Reid was our head coach. Uh, John Harbaugh was our special teams coordinator and uh, it was just a, it was, it was a great time with Sean, we had uh, Sean McDermott and, um, and Steve Spagnuolo were on the coaching staff. It's a good time. And as I mentioned, Mark Donovan's the president of Kansas City Chiefs now, just won a Super Bowl. 
Um, and then I got, um, I got called about Real Salt Lake and, uh, um, the owner of turnkey sports, Len Perna called me and, and, and I actually wanted to stay in the NFL with the Eagles. And, and, uh, after a while, though, he convinced me to meet with Dave Checkets, who was a, a friend of a mutual friend of mine, uh, Chris Bevilacqua. And uh, Dave was just um, a visionary and uh, just a great man. And uh, um, had a, I took the job and, and wound up getting back to soccer, which I love. And, and so was able to run the team side of things as well as the business side and open up a new stadium, which became Rio Tinto Stadium. And uh, seven years in the playoffs and, um, you know, two MLS Cup finals, one winning it once and, and CONCACAF Champions League finals, U.S. Open Cup finals. So um, it was a real good run for us. And then uh, uh, Dave sold the team in 2013 and I finished out my contract and then um, had this opportunity to go work for MLSE to run Toronto FC and took a lot of the same fundamentals from Real Salt Lake to Toronto. And we've had a lot of success and was given the opportunity to run the CFL team as well in uh, December 2017. So it's been uh, um, a, a good uh, good ride to this day. I've lived, I've lived in every time zone. Uh, I've lived in Canada now. And, um, you know, still uh, I still feel the, the best is yet to come uh, in my career and also in, in soccer with the World Cup coming in 2026. I'm the I'm the co-chairman of the Toronto Bid Committee, and so I really look forward to bringing the World Cup to Toronto and, and being part of that. And what it's going to do for Major League Soccer, I think, is going to be uh, you know a real big shot in the arm as well. Now we talked about this a bit earlier off camera, but a super funny anecdote for you listeners is unknowingly I've essentially been following Bill's path throughout his career. I grew up in the same county as he lived in when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. And as my sports interest changed, so did my location. Whereas now I shifted from football to soccer and shifted from Philadelphia to Toronto. So I just thought that was a really funny anecdote to share. Love but it. I guess over the course of your career, I'm sure there's been a lot of challenges and hurdles you've had to face. So I'm really curious to know what have been some of the most valuable ones that you've overcome. I remember as a, as a player, I so bad wanted to make a living playing soccer and, and you just really couldn't um, prior to major league soccer. And I, I wanted to play in MLS, but I was really coming towards the end of my career as a player. I was in my late twenties. Um, and then I would have been 31 when the league came out and just coming to the realization that it's not going to happen for me, that I wasn't going to be playing in MLS and I needed to, figure out what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it was fortuitous in that um, when I was playing for the New York Fever, our owner, Bob Butler, um, let me work in the front office to gain some experience there. And then the Long Island Rough Riders, um, you know, had, had heard about me and they knew I was from Long Island and, and they gave me the opportunity to be general manager there. And that really has led to where I am today and obviously a number of steps along the way. But um, just coming to that realization that I needed to realize I wasn't going to play in MLS and hey, can I though make a soccer career? Can I make a career out of soccer, which is, you know, when you're in the front office side is much, much longer than a playing career. And so <laughs> absolutely, um, that was uh, something that I was able to quickly shift to and 
and and and then really I and I remember I wanted to I you know I set a goal to be one of the best executives in soccer in in, in the country and and that was you know and I hope I look back and I and I think I've 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 uh, um, you know paved a good path for a lot a lot of people and for the league and um, like I said I still still have a lot more runway in front of me that I that I, I still have a lot more I want to accomplish in my career but but changing from being on the field to off the field was was a big big change um, when when Tampa folded in. 2002, early 2002, that was a crushing blow for me. Um, I, uh, you know, was in MLS, which is where I wanted to be, but all of a sudden they, they folded the franchise and I still had another year on my contract, but I wanted to run a team and, and those opportunities didn't come. And so I needed to make a, a, a career decision and I realized I needed big league experience and I needed business experience. I had a lot of soccer experience, but I needed business experience and had an, a couple of opportunities in soccer, but they weren't financially the right place or, or career-wise even, and, and even had an opportunity to work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the time. But I took this chance to move to Houston, Texas and work with Tad Brown, who's their CEO, and it was sink or swim. Um, and I knew it. I knew that if I didn't do well there, my my career would be in trouble. I was in my, uh, I'm trying to think, I was probably in my uh, mid-30s at the time. And it was, uh, it was an experience where I had to raise my game. Mm -hmm. And I was on, on strictly the business side, on the sales side, and I was able to do really well. And uh, um, took advantage of, of a good opportunity there because we had a brand new building in the Toyota Center. We had Yao Ming playing for the team. There was a lot of excitement about it. And uh, sold um, $10 million or so in, in about a year and a half and, and uh, put my name and, and kind of got my name out there a little bit and, and wound up uh, moving over to the Philadelphia Eagles, which was, you know, the biggest, baddest league is the NFL and uh, four great seasons there and learned a lot. Uh, worked with Mark Donovan as the president of Kansas City Chiefs, who's a really sharp guy. And again, had to raise my game and, uh, those six years, I still say those six years away from soccer actually were my most transformational years. Those were the years that I, I really needed to raise my game. I mean, I was side by side with, with you know, a bunch of people with Ivy League educations from Harvard and Brown and Yale and um, very, very bright people, very motivated people. And mm -hmm. um, I, I felt that, you know, with my own determination, my own effort, I could be better than all of them. And uh, um, it uh, wound up really um, teaching me a lot too in how to deal in the big leagues and how yeah. they do things in the NFL and the NBA, how, how professional they are. Um, you know, back in the early days of MLS and I worked in the USL, we really were a minor league uh, back then. And, and now it, you know, working in the NFL and the NBA gave me great insight into what it takes to be a pro in this business. Um, and then I'd say, um, you know, coming um, when Dave Checkets uh, sold the team in Salt Lake and uh, um, I had a, uh, you know, I had to come to 
I had to make a decision whether I wanted to stay in Salt Lake or not. And after a couple of years, I, I, I realized I didn't want to stay in Salt Lake anymore. And the new owner wanted to be more involved to run the team himself. And uh, that was a little scary. I wasn't sure um, where I would go or, or if anyone would want me. And, and, you know, you just get, and I was very confident in my abilities, but you just, um, you never know. So timing is so much, right? And so um, just kind of taking that and, 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 parting ways with Real Salt Lake um, and then um, taking that next step, you know, believing in myself. Um, um, and then all of a sudden the phone started ringing and these opportunities came up. And so that was, uh, um, you know, another area where it was totally unknown and it was a hurdle, right? The unknown is a hurdle. And uh, um, all the relationships that I built and the successes that I had had um, led to interest. And so it was, uh, that was, that was, you know, the one thing I always feel strongly about is I always, I'll bet on myself because I, I, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I generally will, will, will get to where I want to get to. I noticed you mentioned a lot of people that have been influential in terms of your career trajectory. And I was wondering what have been some of the most insightful or valuable pieces of advice that they have bestowed upon you? Yeah, so the first real mentor I had from a, a career standpoint would have been Bill George. Um, Bill was the CEO of a big company in Minnesota called Medtronic. Um, very, very successful uh, man. Um, he's since uh, retired from the business world, went to Harvard to give back and uh, um, as a professor there, and he's written a number of books on leadership. He's probably one of the leading authorities on leadership in the world right now. Um, he, uh, two things in particular. One um, was he was the one that really emphasized to me to be a P&L manager and not just be a budget manager. Um, and what he meant was that you want to be in charge of the revenue side and you want to be in charge of the expense side. Um, and truly run a business and manage a business. And that was something that has stuck with me my whole career. And even when, when I didn't have P&L control in the NBA or the NFL, I was more a budget manager then. I knew I wanted to become a president or a CEO that I could run an entire business and that everything filtered up to me. Yeah, That was great career advice from Bill because um, basically what he was saying to me was, you know, you need to shoot to be at the top that. So right now you're only in charge of this little team, but don't set your sight short to be, you know, just a head of sponsorship or a head of sales or anything like that. You know, go be a team president, go be a CEO, CEO. You have to be, a, you know, be able to manage a PL because uh, you can't, you can't spend if you don't have the money coming in. So that was great um, advice from Bill. And, and the other thing I remembered Bill, was um, he cared and uh, you know it, it it you know throughout my career I've, I've come to understand that people will give you more and give you their all when you actually care about them and uh, you don't just care about yourself and so I remember when we were having our first child uh, Bill called me and he said um, uh, I, you know I want you to take a week to be with your wife when uh, your son is born. Don't worry about the team. 
don't call anyone, just, just spend the time with your wife. And I remember it was, it was tough to think about that because so much was going into this team and my career. Um, but obviously I was starting a family and it was, uh, just told me he cared. He cared about me and he cared about my wife and the team and um, something that always stuck with me uh, throughout the years. Um, you know, and then after uh, Bill, I, I um, got to know Don Garber when he hired me for the Tampa Bay Mutiny. And Don, I've known for 20 years now. We're both uh, from New York. And um, we've seen this league go from a really small league to a big league now that is um, operating on a much different level. And he's been a great mentor for me. He's given me a lot of really good career advice. Um, and, and he's a guy I say all the time, I'd go through a wall for Don Garber. And I think I've seen him in the trenches and, and he's, he's a great leader and uh, he's smart, um, but he's also a really good person. And uh, uh, he has supported me, um, you know, when I've needed him and, and uh, um, I, I admire him greatly. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I worked for Tad Brown uh, to Houston Rockets, who is a, a great guy. Um, one of the things I remember from Tad is he's just like, you know, the results, you know, go get results. That was his big thing. And, and uh, I was able to deliver on that. And I remember when I spoke to him about this opportunity at the Philadelphia Eagles, he said, he said, look, you deserve it. And he said, you tell me who I need to call because I'll, I'll let them know that, that you're the guy. And, uh, you know, for, for Tad to say that, cause he knew how much I wanted to, I was the team president in MLS and I came back in a sales role in the NBA and he knew where I wanted to go. We had, we had talked about that and he told me, you get the business done for me here and I'll help you get there. And when that opportunity came up with the Eagles, Tad was uh, really supportive. Um, and then, you know, when I, when I went over to Real Salt Lake, Dave check, it's the opportunity to work for him and what a good man he was. And, what I remember from Dave was he had this saying, make it bigger than it is. And, you know, it was whatever it is you're doing, whatever event you're putting on, and we're putting on these soccer games, make it bigger than it is. Um, and and we, we treated it that way. We, we didn't look at Real Salt Lake like a little small team. We looked at it like a big team, like a big event. And, and, and the community caught on and we wound up selling out every game. And, you know, Dave, Dave, the other thing is he really cared about his people and he was very competitive. He wanted to win, but he cared about his people and, and he asked you uh, for your advice and he, uh, he was just a good man. And so I, I, I learned that from him and he was actually the one that uh, told Larry Tannenbaum about me when I came to join uh, MLSE and then certainly working for Larry has been a godsend. He is, uh, was just, you know, honored as the, you know, Lifetime Achievement Award by Sports Business Journal. And uh, it's just been a wonderful man to work for. So I hope to work for Larry for many, many years. But, you know, th those guys have been very influential in my career. There's one other guy um, who was a childhood friend of mine named Chris Bevilacqua, who um, actually is the one that introduced me to Don Garber at first. Um, he introduced me to Tad Brown when the Houston Rockets position was open and uh, um, just uh, a guy that in my career at different points has helped me. And, um, you know, I'm really appreciative to him for that. Now, Bill, you find yourself in quite an interesting position where there's 
literally an entire fan base of millions and millions of people watching your every move, which I'm sure puts a lot of pressure on you. And with society moving towards more work-intensive environments, how do you maintain some level of mental health within your professional life? I just deal with whatever it is. Like, like I have a saying, and my wife actually got, got it engraved for me, and I keep it in my bookshelf at home. It is what it is. And mm-hmm. I, I take things for what they are. I, I don't, you know, and, and I deal with it. And what I found is the best laid plans rarely go the way you want them to go. Um, and many times you have obstacles in the way and, and sometimes things go a different direction and it's your reactions to those that, that help you. And, you know, I, I always say, yes, you want to be proactive, but you also need to be prepared to be reactive mm-hmm. um, and make the right decisions when things aren't going the way you want them to go. I remember, um, you know, before your time, but the heavyweight <laughs> champion, Mike Tyson, um, used to have a funny saying. And he said, you know, he says, all my opponents have a great plan against me until I punch them in the face. And then, then their best laid plans go to waste because he was such a hard, powerful hitter. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I, I think you have to be um, nimble on your feet and be able to react to different things in your career and in your life and take it for what it is. It's a, uh, it's a hard business sports. It's, um, it's very competitive people. It's not always nice. Um, <laughs> and you know, it, it's, it's the reality. And we, and I hate to say it, you know, we live in a world where you get judged on the wins and loss column and there's no hiding. There's no hiding in sports. Um, mm. It's out in the newspapers. It's out in the media. It's on the radio. It's in TV. Can't hide. And your results show up and, and, you know, it's why, you know, a lot of times it's not a whole lot of job security in in this, this industry. Um, At the end of the day, I go to sleep well at night because I, I feel that I, I treat people with respect that I'm nice um, and that I work hard and I work my butt off every single day um, with the goal of trying to win. And that's what, you know, I always, I always, what what whoever I'm working for, I really quickly try to find out what's really important to them, and then I just and I know what's so important to Larry Tannenbaum is winning, and I love that. Really, that's what drives me every day, and um, so I I do everything that I can every single day to try to help Toronto FC and the Toronto Argonauts win, and do it in a way that's respectful to people and that uh, you know. Uh, my staff and my players, we, we, we treat them well and uh, with respect and, and my colleagues and my peers. And so um, it's, you know, it's a, uh, from a, from just from a mental health standpoint, like I, I, I love what I do and, and I love it every single day. And so um, you, you pick yourself up when you lose, like right now we just lost two in a row at Toronto FC, but I like to say, you know, we got knocked down, but just don't get knocked out. And uh, that's what keeps me going. Um, and so I'm, I'm very, very driven that way. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's part of who I am and what I do. Yeah. And as an executive in the MLS, you've essentially accomplished everything there is to accomplish. Two-time MLS Executive of the Year 
in 2017, you won the domestic treble with TFC. So I was curious to know more about you and what you enjoy doing outside the scope of your work. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I have a great family. I have two, two boys and, uh, my wife and I've been married 27 years. I, uh, I used to very much, my son was a very competitive, uh, wrestler. And, and actually when we moved to Canada, it was a little difficult for him because he had to finish his last two years and we did all his matches were in the U S actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and I used to love, uh, coaching him and following him and going to all his tournaments all around the um, the U S. Um, and then my younger boy, one of, one of the greatest experiences I've had is I coached his team out in Salt Lake and, uh, uh, really, really enjoyed that. And then we actually brought him in the real Salt Lake Academy and, um, spent some time coaching that as well. I, I actually have my A coaching license, um, back when I was playing, I actually wasn't sure if I wanted to coach either. So I went and got my licenses. So I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, now uh, my my one son is in, in college and, and uh, got concussed, so he's not wrestling anymore. My younger son is in 12th grade, and so I'm really looking forward to him playing in college and going to support him and watch him. And when I'm home, you know, my wife and I, we uh, um, we enjoy some wine, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I like computer games. I love strategy games. Really? So, that yep a little bit of my uh my spare time i'll enjoy it. my son in fact introduced me to a game called civilization another game called rome um so i i've actually been playing those games a little bit even here in hartford and um you know have uh i enjoy my time at home we have a uh, you know a couple of dogs and and uh i love i i love uh, also the restaurants in toronto <laughs> we really enjoy going to and so um, you know, so much of my life revolves around the sporting events because essentially every weekend, either TFC plays or the Argonauts play, um, or my son is playing or my older son had a wrestling tournament so much that revolved around all that, that, uh, um, and I love it. I love the competitive side of things. And, you know, the one thing I love about sports is there is a winner and loser. Right. Yeah, and so you binary. learn about you you learn about losing now and you learn how to handle losing and how to overcome losing. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's the one thing that that I always find that that you're always learning in sports because you're not going to win all the time. You're going to lose and then you need to learn from the losing and what you need to do better to win. And so mm -hmm. it's uh, um, I just uh, I love I love the competitiveness of sports. Well, it's amazing to see how big of a role sports plays in your life, like many of us. But as an outsider looking in, I was wondering what are some of the biggest misconceptions with the sports management industry? So I, I do think there is a, a perception that it's all fun and games. And, you know, I remember like people, even when I was working like in the NBA and the NFL, like people, neighbors, relatives, they'd be like, well, like, what do you, where do you work in the off season? What do you do in the off season? <laughs> like, like they, they thought you only work when the season is on. It's just kind of, you know, it's a little strange that people don't realize a lot of times you're working even harder and longer hours in the off season than you are in season. Because once the season is in play, it's going, it's going, right? It's just, 
to happen. And, and it's all the work you did leading up to the season that actually a lot of times will dictate the results um, on, on how you go. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's not fun and games. It's, uh, you know, I, I'd say the other thing which, you know, is highlighted clearly in the professional sports side of things is, is the money and the contracts and, and, you know, it, it, it gets very, um, personal when you, you deal with players and, and, and their contracts and their livelihoods, um, and coaches for that matter and, and staff. Um, and that's, that's, uh, there's never an unlimited, you know, pot of money. Right. And so you always have to balance these, these, you know, things which sometimes can hurt people's feelings or, or, or so on. And so, um, that's a very difficult part of the sport that I don't think people understand. Like when you're playing FIFA soccer or Madden football, you can trade a guy away. <laughs> yeah, it's no like big deal. Team. And you cut guys and bring players in and, in the real life of sports, though, these players do have families and these players do have feelings and they do have, you know, character. And, and it's, it's not easy sometimes to just say, get rid of this guy or fire this coach or trade this guy away. It's, 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 it's difficult and there's emotions that are involved. And, and uh, that's the part of the business. I don't think if you don't work in the business, you don't see, you don't, you don't, you can't comprehend how, you know, I've had players cry. I've had, you know, coaches in tears. Like it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, and then those things are real. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that's another area where the general public truly doesn't realize the emotional side of the business that is involved when you're dealing with players' careers with contracts and trades and cutting players and, and all that stuff. Those are two areas I'd say not fun and games. And then the emotional side of player personnel. Considering that you've held several executive roles across three different major leagues in the MLS, NFL, and NBA, I was wondering if there are any subtle nuances or differences when it comes to managing teams in different sports. You know, in all honesty, I, there's actually not a lot in terms of, of running the franchises. Um, the principles are all very similar, right? You want to win on game day. You want to um, manage your cap or your budget such that um, you can be competitive long-term. Um, you want to maximize revenue, which means you want to sell tickets and sponsorships and merchandise, um, you know, good customer service. So, so many similarities along the way. You know, football's a little bit different because it's a bigger sport. You have bigger rosters. You play less games. Um, you know, basketball is a smaller roster and, uh, um, you know, smaller teams. And so, but the fun, I would say the fundamentals are, are very, very close in how you run the franchises and how you you, you manage the businesses of, of all three sports. It's, um, you know, it's, that's why we call it the sports industry. You know, it's, it, it is much different though than if you own a, a retail store or you own a manufacturing plant or an accounting firm, like sports is a different, different business for sure. But 
within the different leagues, there's, there's a lot of similarities. If you were to look back on your over 25-year career in sports management, is there anything that in hindsight you would have wanted to do differently? Yeah, I, I think when I was um, a young general manager in, in, in Major League Soccer, the first time I had uh, a coach who had an option year and we didn't have a great relationship my first year there. Uh, he was the incumbent coach when I came in and um, I opted to make a change um, and we were a playoff team and I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably um, should have figured out, I, I say this and he and I have, have mended fences, but I, we, we found ways to not work together when we should have found ways to work together because I think we could have been successful. And um, that just that little change actually derailed the next season because it was, there was too much change. Um, and so that was a lesson learned is that when you have a playoff team, that means you have a chance to win. Um, not making the playoffs, then, you know, you start looking at, do I need to make a coaching change or so on? But if you have a team that makes the playoffs, um, your coach then has a chance to win the whole thing. And so that was, that was a lesson learned there. Um, when I was in the NFL and NBA, um, definitely profession, just the true professionalism of those leagues and what it took to be a pro, um, definitely lessons learned there. And, uh, you know, then when I was in Salt Lake, I would say, you know, I got to a point where I needed to decide if I wanted to work, um, in the environment I was working in and, and, you know, it's hard because you, you know, you have your, your employment, right. But, um, you can always decide if you want to leave. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, um, when you no longer enjoy your job, it's okay maybe to go someplace else. And, and um, you know, the other thing that I learned is all my moves have all been actually very positive and moving to different areas of the United States, moving to Canada have actually both my wife and I, my two kids have actually made us more worldly in that there's so many parts of North America that we're comfortable with and that we know and we see the differences in people. And um, it's actually been really, really good. And so I always encourage people to, you know, if they have an opportunity to move, to do it. Um, and if they have an opportunity, to, you know, I say this to people, the best thing I did was leave soccer and spend six years in, in the NBA and the NFL. And if people have an opportunity to move to another sport, um, I encourage it because I think you get a great learning from, from there's little nuances sometimes in, in how they do things yeah. and that, that can help. And so th those are all kind of some of the things that I've taken away over the last 25 years. While we're on the theme of reminiscing about your career, say 20, 30 years down the line, you're looking back on everything that you've been able to accomplish. How is it that you want to be remembered? And what is the legacy that you want to live as a sports professional? You know, I haven't thought a lot about that, to be honest. I, uh, I still feel I have a lot to accomplish in my career. And, and you know, I, I, the 2026 World Cup is, is something I'm really excited about um, five years from now. And I want to be a big part of 
of that um, effort here in Canada um, as co-chairman of the Toronto bid. Um, I'm really excited what it can do for Major League Soccer. Um, so I haven't thought a lot about what I want to be remembered for because I still feel that I have a lot of memories coming up, you know, like uh, I have yeah. a lot of things still accomplished and, and a lot of things to do. Um, you know, you, you know, I guess what I would say is, you know, um, you know, if, if, if someone thinks of me, I, I like them to think, Hey man, he was, he was a good guy and I, and I enjoyed working with him. Like, like, uh, that's, that's probably, um, you know, what I would want someone to remember me for, but I, uh, I haven't, I haven't put a lot of thoughts into that. You know, maybe when I'm in my sixties, I'll start to think about that, but, but not yet, not yet. Still got a lot to accomplish. It's great. You mentioned the world cup coming to North America for 2026, but more overarchingly, I think it's worth noting how soccer culture has just been growing exponentially year over year in both the United States and Canada. We have players like Christian Pulisic playing for Chelsea, and of course Alfonso Davies not only coming off a Champions League win, but also being the first North American to be voted to the FIFA Pro World Eleven. How do you think leaders like yourself can further facilitate this growth so the region as a whole could potentially be more competitive on a global scale? Our youth academies and MLS now are really um, coming to the forefront. And it actually dates back probably a decade. Um, and I remember being part of these discussions. We started at Real Salt Lake. We started an academy down in Arizona called Laurisel, Arizona. Greg Vanny was actually our first um, academy director. And I remember convincing Dave Checkets that this was a, the right idea because we needed to have our own pipeline of players that eventually would come into our team. And there's actually a number of players on Salt Lake right now, Corey Baird, Justin Glad, um, that, that came up through our academy. Sebastian Sosedo was signed there and, and uh, Brooks Lennon. Um, and now we're seeing it at Toronto FC. Toronto FC came to the party a little bit late with its academy, but um, you know, really with the 2000 class and, and below, you're starting to see the emergence of Bio Akinola, um, you know, onto the scene. And, and now Jaden Nelson, who's part of the 2002 class, and Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy, who's part of the 2004 class. And, you know, you have, uh, you know, I, I would say another six or seven guys, because we have 11 of them on our roster now, um, six or seven, Ralph Preso. Uh, who's a 2002, these guys are knocking on the door and they're all part of the Canadian Youth National Team program. And I believe they will eventually be part of the Canadian National Team, Senior National Team program. And these are guys that I think are going to step into Toronto FC. And, you know, right now, Jonathan Osorio has been the one player that's kind <laughs> of a homegrown player yeah. that has done really well, that has gotten consistent minutes. And I look forward to, you know, in 2026, where we have five or six guys in our regular rotation who came from our academy who are from Toronto, who can compete at the highest level like Jonathan has. Jonathan's been in a number of championships for us. And so I think that's the next evolution in how I can have kind of that impact um, by making sure we continue to, to push our academy. and. Um, the thing at, at TFC is we don't want to be a team that is just about young players or just about DPs. We actually want to use 
every mechanism at our disposal to, to be, so we want to have our three DPs. We want to have a full allocation of TAM players. We want to have our homegrown players, you know, coming up in that mix. And then we want to have good, you know, what I would call veteran MLS players like a Nick DeLeon or a Drew Moore and just combine that all together into what we think is, is the right way to put together a championship team. So, um, I, uh, that, that's, you know, what I really continue to focus on is how can we continue to push the needle? I still, the one thing I still haven't done is win CONCACAF Champions League. And so I'm the only, executive, I'm the only executive, there's only been three teams that have gone to the finals. Uh, my team, Salt Lake, in, in 2011, uh, we lost uh, on aggregate three to two to Monterey, and then Montreal lost in 2015, and then TFC in 2018. So I've been to two finals and have come this close, you know, losing one nothing in leg two uh, to Monterey and Salt Lake and then on penalty shots with TFC. So that is something that I am laser focused on getting back to CONCACAF and, and winning yeah. a CONCACAF Champions League. I think, I think that's when MLS, when, when MLS has come, come to age in a number of different ways, but when MLS fully comes of age on the world stage will be when we win CONCACAF. We currently live in such unprecedented times considering the global pandemic and COVID-19. And I know that there's been a huge impact on the sports industry, especially. You mentioned earlier how important being a PNL leader is. How has the pandemic affected not only your bottom line, but your strategy moving forward with the club? it's obviously been very difficult for, for a number of sports teams, you know, ticket sales is a big part of our, our business. And, you know, we are, I think the resolve of our ownership um, is amazing. Um, you know, certainly with MLSE, but across MLS and, and most all of sports, um, I, I think we will all be stronger when we get out of it, but there's going to be some pain here. And what we, mm -hmm. on the team side, in a lot of ways, while everything has changed, nothing has changed because our job is to still win games. And so the games are still going on, right? And we still have to win them. And um, you take all these challenges, like our team is playing in Hartford, Connecticut, you know, we're not in Toronto. But at the end of the day, people still write about us on if we won the game or we lost the game. And so that part of it hasn't changed. What has changed is everything else around how we're preparing and how our business looks. And, you know, the, the thing that's great about MLSE and I think a lot of the ownership groups in MLS is they are long-term thinkers. And, and while there's going to be short-term pain here in 2020, certainly, and into 2021, um, we all want to come out of this um, so that our businesses are strong um, in 2022 and going forward. And, and that's where the resolve of ownership is, is such a key. And, and, and for me, just blessed to work for MLSE. Mm -hmm. If you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? To my younger self, um, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, you know, when I was younger, you know, I would sometimes stress out about things that probably weren't that big of a deal, um, in the long run. And so as I've gotten more experience and I've 
had more experiences and, and uh, um, I've gained a greater understanding for what's really, really important and, you know, what's, what's maybe, you know, hey, yeah, it sucks that this didn't happen, but it's really not that big of a deal at the end of the day. So it's probably don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. And I guess just to close off on a more casual note, I would love to talk soccer with you. Yeah, of course. Now looking at European soccer, so you don't have any conflicts of interest, has there been a favorite team or favorite player that has stood out over the course of the last decade to you? I don't really have a favorite team. Um, you know, I, I, I followed Celtic for a while because in the mm. early 2000s, I actually had the opportunity to um, play. The Tampa Bay Mutiny played Celtic in a, in a little exhibition game in 2001, and it was a lot of fun. And I had a chance to meet Martin O'Neill and the folks from Celtic, and they were great people. And I, you know, followed them for a few years after, um, you know, when the Glazers bought Manchester United, I always, um, I find myself rooting for Man U because uh, got to know Joel Glazer a bit when I was in Tampa. And, um, you know, he's, he's a good guy and his family are good people. And so I, I tend to now root for people I know um, when, you know, a friend of mine, Ita Lozanzi, was the CEO of Roma. I used to root for them uh, while he was working there. And, you know, we just had a, um, a couple of owners um, just bought teams in Italy. Um, and, and I really hope uh, things go well for them, um, Parma and, and, and Roma. And so I find myself, you know, rooting for people that I know. Um, and that, uh, I, uh, you know, that's kind of how I've tied into teams in terms of players, you know, I, I, I love Messi. I, I think he is such an amazing player and, and, and just the greatest player I've ever seen in, in my day, uh, for sure. And, and his legacy, I think is, is just going to be unmatched. Um, Agreed. um, you know, he, he's probably, he's the one that, that jumps out at me. And, and uh, um, I've actually gained a lot more appreciation for Ronaldo of late, just uh, how he's been able to move from team to team and at his age now to still be as successful and as competitive as he is. And, um, his work ethic is, is, is just amazing that it's, and I always say this, like success doesn't happen by accident. Like, 100%. like, Cristiano Ronaldo's success is not by accident. Like he, <laughs> he works at it, and uh, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for people who are successful for a long time. Um, that's uh, that is not easy. And those two guys, in particular, Messi and Ronaldo, have been so successful for so long. Um, I have nothing but respect for them. Yeah, well, that just about wraps things up. Thank you so much, Bill, for taking the time out of your day to join me on my podcast. I'm sure not only myself, but everyone listening definitely gained a lot from your experiences. Great. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. That concludes my conversation with Bill Manning, president of the Toronto Football Club. Make sure to keep an eye out for the next episode of Industry Insights, where I'll be joined by Celia Chabot footwear and accessories designer for Louis Vuitton. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. And remember to take care of yourselves today. And if you can, someone else as well.